Talk Recorded live. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here, along with Pastor William Fink. Uh, tonight's discussion, um, and I was listed, we were going to start uh, 2 Corinthians, but uh, there's been a lot of controversy on the Internet, uh, especially within Christian identity circles, about the proper definitions of words and how um, the Hebrew and Greek are to be understood. So uh, Bill uh, has suggested that we talk about Greek grammar tonight, and, and that would be the, the main topic of discussion, and uh, we'll focus on Revelation 5.5 5 as an introductory verse for that discussion. But before we get into that, uh, I would like to briefly describe my experience as a translator, and I've never written a translation of the Bible. However, I learned the technique of word studies from Bertrand Comperet and Wesley Swift, and also to some extent from Howard B. Rand. In their writings, they, they repeatedly refer to mistranslated words, those mistranslated words appearing in the King James Version and various other English-language versions. And I've talked with people who read German Bibles and uh, Bibles in other languages, like Greek, uh, the, the Old Testament is in Greek. And they basically have told me that their translations are very similar to the English translations. And uh, so what, what, what I have done is whenever there's a contradiction or something that just doesn't make sense, in the Bible, uh, you know, then I will go go to to the actual original Hebrew or Greek and to see what how that word is defined. Okay, and in every case, when that when there's a problem such as this, uh, I have found that uh, they chose a really odd translation or a, an odd definition, or they and sometimes they simply made up a definition that doesn't even exist in Scripture. Okay, and so resolving uh, contradictions and bad translations in this way has been very productive for me, for me, I should say. And uh, then when I started corresponding with Bill while he was still in prison and I uh, found out that he was translating the New Testament from the original Greek, I was just overjoyed because, uh, you know, now I'm talking to somebody who actually knows Greek grammar, <laughs> you know, and not just word studies. So uh, I just would like to take uh, three examples from the Old Testament to give you an idea of you know what has to what what the problem is here. Okay, for example, the word man. The word man in the Hebrew is actually translated from five or more different Hebrew words, and those words have radically different meanings. Okay, the primary definition of man is from the Hebrew 120 and 119, which means to show blood in the face. And, okay. and let me say something about those words, because I was going to bring that up tonight. Okay. Talking about the concordance. Sure. But when we look at Strong's definitions, he does not give the parts of speech usually. Uh-huh. He doesn't tell you this verb is a, this word is a verb, mm -hmm. this word is a noun, this word is an adjective. Yeah, sometimes he does, but not always. Yeah. Very free, Right. He expects you to know them or be able to tell them from the definition. Right, or from the usage, yes. Right, mm -hmm. and I've seen a lot of people point at 119 and 120 and say, oh, this is two different words. And mm -hmm. and it is two different words, but it's the same word. Right. Uh, okay. The meanings of the same one word. is a verb and one is a noun. Right. It's that simple. All right. 
Right, exactly, exactly. And, and that's all. I'll let you go on. Yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, that applies to the word man, and you have to understand it. And if, if you know Hebrew and uh, you can uh, read it closely, sometimes they mistranslate. They used it as a verb when it should have been a noun, <laughs> or they used it as a noun when it should have been a verb. Okay, so these are some of the problems, and Bill will get into that, and how problems like that in the Greek. But other words from which man is chosen in the Hebrew is the word ish. The word ish does not mean to show blood in the face. It simply means male or man-child. So as in Genesis 4.1, where Eve says, I have gotten a man from the Lord, that word is ish. It's not Adam. So she is saying, she's not saying that she had an Adamite child when she's describing Cain. She is simply saying, this is, I've got a male child, and my goodness, I have no idea what race he is. <laughs> okay. And other words for man are 1167, which is the Hebrew word for Baal, okay? And that usually means lord or head of household, etc. Number 2145, Zahar, which means male or man. And 1538, uh, my chicken scratch here is, is uh, bad, uh, uh, Gulgaleth, which also means man or head, okay? So we have... Five, and there's others. These, these are just five of them that I'm, I'm bringing up. And that the uh, King James Version translates all of these word, words as man, not making any distinction among them or between them, and therefore we are you know, being misled. The others I, are 4962, which is math, which is adult. Uh-huh. 1121, which is ben, which is son. And mm-hmm. they're both sometimes translated man. And, yeah. And we'll see that soon. And, right. and 1397, which is geber, which is a warrior. Yes. Okay. And, yeah. And all you know, often that's translated um, brave man or fighting man or you know things. Right. Like that. Yeah. And so when you sometimes when these words are translated as man in the same sentence, they don't make sense because you know they're being contrasted or they're not being contrasted when they should be contrasted. Well, okay? right. There are there are instances in the Psalms where I mean Enosh is used of Adamite. Mm-hmm. Yes, right, and and that's frequent, and that just refers to the the human man, but it doesn't denote his status because we know he's an Adamite, right? And and some of those descendants are called at times Enosh, just right. you know, hey, that guy over there, you know, but like we use that informally, right? And, right. Instead of saying that man over there, but but there are places in the Psalms where Enosh and Adam are definitely contrasted and opposed right. to each other. Right, exactly. And, and there's also place, there's a place in Daniel chapter 2 that's like that, yeah. where, where Enosh, that, you know, they will um, that they will mingle with the seed of Enosh. Well, right. what would be wrong with that? You right. know? Well, yeah, and then if you don't know that the, this word man is translated from all these different Hebrew words, when you do run into a contradiction or something that just doesn't make sense, then you have no idea why, <laughs> okay? Unless you examine the underlying words. And right. the concordance is good for that. Yes, that's exactly right. For that, for that task, the concordance is sufficient. Yes, yeah. Now another, another, yeah 99% another, of the time. Right, right. Another, yeah, and, and, and actually the occurrences, the words that are poorly defined or poorly translated aren't that many, but there's some very, very critical ones. Man is one of them, okay? Another one of the critical ones is Gentile, okay? And uh, the word Gentile in the Hebrew is translated from the word goy. And the first definition <laughs> that, that the Strong's Concordance gives is foreign nation. Now, the fact is that that definition is absolutely ridiculous. 
Well, well, you know, Thayer and and Strong and even Liddell and Scott, okay, yeah. have some church definitions in their lexicons. Right. And and Liddell and Scott a lot less frequently than and and they'll always qualify it and mm-hmm. NT. Yeah. You know, meaning that's the way they understood it from the church. Okay. When, when the word does, you know, because there are some words in the New Testament that do not appear in Greek writing prior to the New Testament. Okay. Uh, okay. And it's, they're very scarce, but there are a couple. Mm-hmm. And, and the only definition we have is the church one. Now, right. now one, one, one um, is heterozugos. You know, yoked with somebody of another of an alien, yoked, right. to be yoked together with an alien. Right. That word does not appear in secular Greek. Okay, but I have to look at how it was used in the Septuagint, and what the component meanings are. You know, what the meanings of the component words are. Right. To define it, sure. where, where sure. the lexicographers quite often simply turn to the church and, and ask them, you know, right. how do you define, you know, what, yeah. what and, and that's the definition that they're they're lex. That, that their dictionaries um, reflect. Right. And, yeah. and the, when we get to Little and Scott, you see that very rarely, but when we get to um, to Sayer's Greek lexicon and Strong's lexicon, we see that quite often. Yeah. Yeah, and as we found out also very often in the New Testament, the word ecclesia, which is Greek for congregation, is often translated as church, which means the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, that's their definition, but that's not what the Greek means, right? right. So it that, definitely that, doesn't mean that. And and when I when I study scripture, I only want to know how secular Greek writers use the words, mm-hmm. or, and, or well, but I should say and or how yeah. it was used in the Septuagint, right? Because when you read the Apostles, the Septuagint was definitely a major literary impact on them. That's right. That's their source. That's their reference for the Old Testament. That's right. And, and in most cases, yeah. In most cases, yeah. yeah. So, so I had a, um, yeah, you know, I sat and poured over the Hatch and Red Path concordance to the Septuagint, which mm-hmm. lists every Greek word in the Septuagint. Right. I've had it with me my, my whole time, you know, right. doing this. And, and it's 2,000 pages. Sure, and, sure. And it's... um. It, it's pretty tedious, but it's work that has to be done. Right. But when right. you have a, a a problem with how a word is to be interpreted in a New Testament, yeah. and, and that happens sometimes. Yeah. Now, now, the reason why the word goy, the Hebrew word goy, 1471, is translated or defined as, because it's really not translated as that. Most of the time, it's actually translated correctly as nation. Okay? If you, uh, The nations of Genesis 10 are a perfect example where those nations were all kindred nations <laughs> related to each other, okay, yet the word Gentile appears, well, how can brothers be foreigners to, of each other? Well, it's, right. It's ridiculous. Can't. It's ridiculous. But this is the Jewish definition. That's why it appears in Strong's Concordance, because the Jews define Goyim as non-Jews. Okay? Well, right. Well, well, even by the time of James Strong, I mean, Schofield what was right around that same era, uh-huh. and, yeah. and the, the you know Christianity was already being Judaized. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, you know, unless you have a real old copy, this is a 1976 edition. Unless you have a really old copy that may have some original definitions without these Jewish ones added, you know, you could make a, a fair comparison. Okay. Now the other factor here with the word Gentile, as they define it, as the Jews define it for themselves. 
It means non-Jew. That's exactly how they use it wherever it appears, okay, in Scripture. But that that word is not, that expression non-Jew does not appear anywhere in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. So how can it even be a definition if it's not even used anywhere? Okay? You get my point? <laughs> It doesn't appear in the Bible. That expression well, absolutely. It doesn't belong in the Bible, period. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a Latin word that doesn't belong in, in yeah. Scripture, in a translation from Greek to English. Yes, and even in Latin it means kinsman. It doesn't mean foreigner. So they have just butchered this word Gentile. It simply does not belong in the Scriptures. And uh, nation and race are usually the best translations of, of, of goy. Okay. Now, uh, and one more is Jew. Because the vast majority of people, even within identity, some people still don't get this, that Jew is not equal to Judah. <laughs> okay? The word Jew has been inserted by the Jews into the Bible as a replacement for the word Judah. Okay? So if you don't understand that Jew does not, certainly it does not belong in the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form, because the, the word Jew, where it appears, is always translated from the Hebrew Yehudi, which only means Judah. It means the people of Judah or Judah himself. That's the only possible definition. And the Judahites were not Jews. The the Jews that we know of from the scriptures are those Edomites pretending to be Judah or those same Edomites pretending to be Israelites. And so you have to understand that the true definition of the word Jew is one who pretends to be Judah. You cannot equate Judah and Jew. You simply cannot. Okay. Well, it's just like we can't take most people that call themselves Americans today. That's right. And, and imagine that the um, the founders of this nation were composed of of yeah. of like ethnography. Well, we can't take the people that call themselves Jews today and just take it for granted that Judah three thousand years ago was one of these people. Or That's that, right. <laughs> That's right. It's a totally different ethnic group. Totally different ethnic group. You know. For one, thing, for one thing, the Judahites were direct descendants of Judah, who was a, a, a descendant of Jacob, okay? And his offspring, through Tamar, Pharaoh, and Zerah, were pure-blooded Israelites, therefore Judahites. There was nothing wrong with their genetics. And every descendant through Pharaoh and Zerah is a Judahite, period, not a Jew, okay? Now, the Jews have come along and pretend to be Judah. They also pretend to be Israel. But, you know, does that make them Israelites? Does that make them Judahites? No. Well, well, this just proves that, you know, we need an understanding of history often to make determinations about language, especially when what we come in touch with um, with, with nationalities and races of people. Yes. yes. And, and, you know, a good example of that is in the Septuagint. Quite often they took the Hebrew word Canaanite and translated it Phoenician. The whole. Okay. And, and they did that because in the 3rd century B.C., the land of Phoenicia that they knew happened to be inhabited by Canaanites. Mm-hmm. But that's not true in 800 or 900 or 1000 B.C. Right, that's when the Israelites occupied when, it. When Israelites were the predominant culture there. Yeah, and, and they virtually exterminated the Canaanites, but not quite. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. that's an example of how history has to be understood when we yeah. look at... Um, Language and, and terms and ethnography. Right. So the, the method, the technique I've been using, or uh, again, uh, and, you know, you, you can't sit down and look at every, look up every word in the concordance. You know, who's got time for that? So the only time, you know, I, I really bother is when there's a problem in the translation where the, the translation is either 
self-contradictory. It contradicts some other verse, or it just doesn't make sense. Okay. Well, well, right. Well, that's you know when I occasionally translating the New Testament, I would come across the more obscure word. Yeah. All right. Like heterozygous in, in two Corinthians six. Um, two Corinthians six fourteen is it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that word is um, heterozygous, and it, it appears in the Septuagint once as a noun. Okay. And and that um, is an example that the definitions in the Greek lexicons aren't good because it, it wasn't a common Greek word. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't appear in in Greek histories and poems and right. and, and secular writing. Yeah, and of course the, the problem with mainstream Judeo-Christianity today is they have absolutely no historical perspective. They're not interested in history. Uh, for, you know, doctrine is uh, set in their minds as solid as concrete. <laughs> and they're not interested in having a historical perspective, you know, so... Right. Well, well, there are probably about half a dozen times. Man, I'm pulling something off the top of my head. Okay. Where, where I had to turn to the Septuagint Concordance and study the Septuagint what? to see what was being meant by the, the a certain form of the certain word right. that, that was obscure. Right, yeah, right. You know, and, and those occasions have, And that's the source to go to. Right, right. Before going to a church lexicon. Right. Or, or, or relying on Strong's, because Strong's lexicon is very concise. Yeah. And uh, he admits it's concise. It doesn't replace a real lexicon. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, you know, I was overjoyed when you finally got out and were able to assist me because, now this is, I'm basically talking about the Old Testament here. Uh, the New Testament is far uh, far more corrupt. They They have taken many more words and bastardized many more words in the New Testament than they have in the Old Testament. In fact, you can say in the Old Testament, there's a systemic problem, okay? Once you understand the method to the madness, it's easy to overcome. For example, the replacement of the word Yahweh with the word Lord, okay? Once you understand that that was bastardized, you know, you just have to read Yahweh in place of the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and realize that, well, that's always translated from the word Yahweh, <laughs> okay? So, uh, you can pretty much, you know, overlook that and just read it accordingly, you know. And the same thing goes for the word Jew. It well, right, but there. for the most part, the translators of the Old Testament had no agenda. Yes. Where yeah. where they had to have a universalizing agenda in the New Testament. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, so because a lot of people ask me, well, what's the best translation of the Old Testament? And I say there is none. <laughs> They're all con- they all have this systemic problem. But once you know uh, that the, the Jews inserted these words here and, and this particular word there, uh, once you understand that you know they did this systematically, and once you understand their system, you can you can basically read around it or read between the lines, however you want to put it, and overcome that. You know, right? But I would say that the best guide for interpreting the Old Testament mm-hmm. is the New Testament. Right. Okay. Yeah, we have to understand the New Testament and what they thought about the Old Testament. Right, right. Yeah, where Paul says that Judah, you know, the the, the Messiah that Christ sprung from Judah, mm-hmm. that means that his origin and derivation is Judah. That's right, and that's, that's right. an explicit statement, Hebrews seven seventeen. Right, right. So we have to, uh, we can't imagine that and some other passages to be wrong. When we interpret the Old, the Old Testament, yeah, right, we yeah. have to have faith that the apostles, who were commissioned by by Yahweh Himself, yeah. right, had the um, the right view of the the Old Testament, right, yeah. And so uh, I initially con- had to confront the the Paul bashers on my own, 
because they were trying to say that, well, Paul teaches that the gospel is supposed to go to the Gentiles, using the Jewish definition of the word, meaning to non-Jews, okay, which means people of any race. And of course, that word is horribly defined and does not mean non-Jews, does not mean non-Israelites. It actually means the dispersed of Israel. That's what it really means, okay? Well, absolutely. And yeah. I, I got a nice email yesterday thanking me for my Paul Badger articles. Good, good. From, you know, from so somebody what, that I don't, you know, So once you understand how these words have been misdefined, and misinterpreted and misused, etc., etc., then, you know, Paul becomes much more clear, and the New Testament becomes much more clear. So, you know, that, that's, that's the introduction I had planned, and so uh, if you want to, we can go right to Revelation 5.5. You know, well, we well, from here, I'd like to go, I'd like to talk about a concordance definition okay. in Strong's, because a lot of people abuse them. Okay. Okay? And, and like I said before, Strong's usually doesn't tell the part of speech. Okay. We have to tell it from the definition. So when we see a noun being defined, we have to understand that the word is a noun. Yeah. Uh, all right? Now, now with the Strong's definition, you see a number, and, and then you'll see the word in the foreign language, whether Hebrew or Greek, and then you'll see a transliteration of the word. Yeah. Following the transliteration of the word, you'll see a pronunciation guide for the word. You know, the way Strong's would pronounce it. That's usually in smaller letters in italics, uh-huh. where the transliteration is in bold letters. Okay. Now, following that, we have the definition. Okay? And, yeah. and let me see that the, the definition for Adam, number 119, is to show blood in the face. Right. To flush or turn rosy. Mm-hmm. From the definition, I know that that's the verb. Yeah, right. Okay? Where exactly. 120 is the noun. Yeah. Okay? Now, or, or actually an adjective also, 120. Ruddy is an adjective. Yes. That, now, um... And, and that's very common in Greek and Hebrew to have very similar or the same forms. Yes. And, yes. and we have to tell, especially in Hebrew, from the context whether the word's being used as a noun or an adjective. That's just the way the language yeah. is. Yeah, and right away, anybody who understands those definitions understands that only the white race blushes. <laughs> well, right. The race. Now, now we so they can only see, get a definition for the white race. We usually see instructions around the definition in plain type and the definition itself, the defining words... In italics, in Strong's. Okay. Now, that's the definition, yeah. according to Strong. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, we always, and this is the part that screws a lot of people up. We have a colon and a dash. Yeah. In the Strong's definition. And if you read the plan of the book that he has at the beginning of the lexicon, mm-hmm. that's real small print that most people don't read, they start running their mouths and they don't read that. Yeah. You'll, you'll understand that everything... Beyond the colon and the dash is not the definition. Okay. It is simply a list of words that reflect how the King James translators translated the word. Right, right. Whether they were right or, or wrong. Yes. And yes. very often they were wrong. That's right. That's oh, right. Okay. Right. But the, the, now the, the benefit of that is that when you want to see it, you could use that as a reverse concordance. Uh-huh. You know, if you go to um, a Hebrew number, say, um, oh, let me pick a word, 3182, okay, okay, and, and it's Yaseth, and it's from an unused root meaning to take off the shoes unsandaled, mm-hmm. and and then pa- and that's the definition, yeah, and then past the colon and the dash, we see barefoot and being unshod, mm-hmm. so, so you know that you could go to barefoot in the front of the in the front of the book. And wherever that number appears under barefoot, 
you see that word was the Hebrew word. Right. So that's a reverse. That's turning the concordance around. Sure. Uh, okay. But a lot of people, I've seen a lot of writing and identity where pastors use the words beyond the colon and a dash as part of the definition right. to prove a point. Yeah. Right. And it's not. That only reflects how the King James translators translated that yeah. word. Or how and the sometimes word is it's used good in a sentence. Right. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's pretty bad. Right, right? exactly. And, and, and that's my biggest caveat about Strong's concordance about using his definition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, now, the detail I'd like to get into is the people that try to make translations from Strong's concordance. Okay. And, and that is the biggest mistake that somebody could make. Uh, okay? And this is why. In, in Strong's concordance, where you see a noun, and, and this is common in, in, in lexicons, in all lexicons, nouns are listed by the nominative singular form. Okay. Okay? Now, nominative is a case, and singular is a number. Right. And, and Greek and Hebrew nouns have, and I don't know the Hebrew cases, I don't know Hebrew grammar, I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would say that nobody really knows Hebrew grammar. Right. So, okay, the rabbis might know Yiddish grammar and the stuff they made up, right. but nobody really knows. I mean, Hebrew grammar is, you know, the original language yeah. it is basically lost in its, in its real form, in its authentic form. Right, right. Yeah. It doesn't. I would even say it doesn't even really exist in the, in the Abisha scroll because that thing doesn't isn't doesn't have the antiquity it claims. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now let me um, let me say that a noun has case and number, and it also has gender. Okay. Okay. And gender could be masculine, feminine, or neuter. And case could be um. There there are five grammatical cases. There are eight grammatical cases recognized by grammarians okay okay and and before i i go another step i'd like to talk about the history of grammar because a lot of people think this is new okay Mm -hmm. but the greeks were writing about grammar and the identification of words back to the fifth century bc at least okay okay i'm going to say this is from collier's encyclopedia okay interest in the study of language and more specifically in the study of grammar can be traced back to the ancient greeks at first, the Greeks' concern for language was rooted in their philosophical studies. And in this connection, there arose a number of controversies over the nature of language. Mm-hmm. One of the best known of these was the Phusis or Physis Nomos controversy. Okay. <laughs> okay? That's two Greek words. Okay. I could say Physis, and that would probably right, exactly. be more recognizable right. to people. Um, I, you know, it, it, Hui and Howie. <laughs> right. well, well, I'm sorry, but there's a debate over how the upsilon is pronounced. Okay, I see. Okay, and, yeah. and modern-day scholars like to pronounce it as an I, and, <laughs> and the Greeks had other vowels that were pronounced like an I. Right. So I pronounce it like a U, and, okay. and that leads to problems because people don't recognize yeah. the words. Right. And, right. and um, oh, okay, one of the best known of these controversies was the Physis nomos controversy, uh-huh. which centered around the question of whether language is a product of nature, which is physis, or a product of convention, which is nomos. Okay. And, and nomos is also law, but it, it's con, you know it became law from con, the idea of convention. Right. And, it's, the, it's the nature nurture controversy. <laughs> well, in ancient form. You know, it kind of basically is. Yeah. A statement of both views is given in Plato's dialogue in Cratylus. Now, okay. Plato's the fourth century BC. Which shows that, and and he shows, and not only him, but if you read the tragic writers in a lot of the 
early writers, you'll see, the other philosophers, you'll see that they were certainly studying grammar, and they had words that they used to identify nouns and verbs. Yeah. All the way back to um to this time, and probably before this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now the um the physicist nomos controversy generally stated that physicist's position was that the name of an object has an inherent connection with the na- nature of the object. Okay. Now, I would say that that's very much like the names of the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrews. Okay. Where, yes. where the Bible clearly gives a connection yes. between the name of an object and its nature. Right. Yes. Uh, especially when, when sons are named. Yes. Uh, yes. You, you know, and, and we, we see that a lot throughout Scripture. Yeah, Yahshua, Hebrew, his name will be Yahshua because right. he will save his people. And, and, yeah, and in Hebrew, like the, the name of a person is actually often a sentence. You know, a very descriptive sentence about the person. <laughs> well, right. That's what I mean. That that uh-huh. would be the side of the physicist controversy okay. of, of Greek grammar. You know, the Bible would take that side yeah. or, or the Old Testament. Yeah. Now, now, the nomos position was that the name of an object is just simply arbitrary and not necessarily related to the object's nature. Okay. So that's a philosophical dispute yeah. over um, certain aspects of grammar in early Greece okay. that was popular. From this controversy, there arose more far-reaching analogist-anomalist series of language. Basically, the analogist held that the universe and language was a part of it is governed by laws and regularities. To support this view, they stressed the morphological regularities in language. Conversely, the anomalists held that the universe is not characterized by order and systematic design. And in support of this position, they emphasized the irregular and illogical aspects of language. Okay. I guess that was early chaos theory. Right. <laughs> right. Now, um, <laughs> one of the very significant contributions to the study of language that grew out of controversies such as these was the grammar of the Greek language by Dionysius Thrax, who lived circa 170 to 90 B.C. Okay. So, so we have a Greek grammar. Uh, and this, there were others, and, yeah. and he his wasn't original, by the way. However, it it we definitely know of this Greek grammar from from the second century BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so this is a lot of people think the study of grammar is new, and that Englishmen sat down in a smoky room and and sorted out words into categories in the 1800s, mm-hmm. and, and that's just bunk. Uh, you know, grammar has been around since since right. language has been around. Right. Yeah. Let me say that it. Uh, I'm quoting, it was Thrax, Dionysius Thrax, who presented one of the first descriptions of today what is called phonology and morphology. Although he he relied heavily on earlier work, he was the one who provided definitions for the parts of speech mm-hmm. and also identified many inflectional categories such as person, number, gender, case, and tense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's all I want to do is show that, that these things that I'm about to talk to are very old. Yes. Yes, right. They've been around a long time. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, modern languages differ in the complexity of the grammar that they have. For example, uh, German has uh, four cases, if not more, where English only has a couple, okay? And they, right. They, English they, is really short on, on cases. Yeah, very simple grammar, actually. English has very simple grammar. Yes, it and, does. And it, allow, and it, it allows the context and the adjectives to determine, you know, meaning rather than the case, you know, accusative, genitive, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And the, the the form of the noun generally stays the same, except, like, when you have uh, singular and plural. It's not affected by the other cases, right? So so English is actually very simple grammar compared to German, and, and, and 
a lot of the nouns in other languages all have masculine and feminine forms, which English doesn't simply doesn't have. Right, and yeah. and yeah, French and lang French and I took I took Spanish in school and I took Latin in school and and they have masculine and feminine and neuter nouns. Yeah, and, and when you see that there's um some important New Testament passages that that when you identify the genders of the nouns that they um. They they have a much more complete meaning, right? Oh, right. okay. Like the woman that lost her coin and found it and invited her friends over. Okay. And and where that word friends is in the feminine. Uh huh. So, so you know that none of the woman's friends are males. Yes. I, I mean that that just indicates that um, it, it yeah. indicates the, the culture of the time. It shows us their culture. It wouldn't be like today where a woman's friends are. Yeah. It looked like the Rainbow Coalition. Right. You, yeah. you know? Came home from you don't the know what's coming over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, well, grammatical cases, there are eight cases recognized by grammarians. Uh, and this is, you know, mostly from a study of Sanskrit has all eight cases. Yes. And, and Greek, the, these are defined, these, are, these same eight cases are identified in Greek, but they're grouped into five groups. Okay. And the inflections... Yeah, you know, there aren't eight different sets of inflections, okay? There are really only, I would say, six, okay. because the nominative and the vocative are, are lumped together, uh, okay, by grammarians, but they're really two different inflections, okay? Uh, okay, and, and the nominative case usually represents, or, or almost always represents, the subject of a sentence. Okay, yes, the, okay. Noun, the noun or the verb, yeah, I mean, the sentence, yes. Right, the, mm -hmm. the, the, um, the, the, um, the subject noun of, of the sentence. Yes. Because there's an object noun often. Right, also. right. Now, now, the vocative is nominative, but it usually um, indicates somebody being addressed. Oh, okay. And, and where it says in, in the opening to the act, to the book of Acts and to the, the Gospel of Luke, it addresses um, Theophilus. Yes. And that appears in the vocative case. Okay, so it would be like you. It's uh, addressing somebody. Well, you, Eli, it would be like me saying you, Eli. Right, right. But in Greek, I, I would change the ending of your name uh -huh, uh -huh. to a different sound, and, and that would indicate the vocative. Okay. okay. Uh, instead of saying you. Yes. Yeah, you know, so that just the, the ending of your name. Yeah. Well, well, you have a, a simple name, like William. William, the nominative would be Williamus, and the vocative would be Williama. Uh -huh. yeah, you know, like Theophila. Is the vocative of Theophilus? Yes. So. Uh, okay. So in, in a you know Eli is like right. some nouns are indeclinable. In right. Greek. They're not declined. David is one of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Whether it's accusative, um, yeah. it's always David. It's so that case is built into how the word is written and, and spoken. Right. Is what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And what well, we have the nominative and the vocative case are, are you know one group and the genitive and ablative. The genitive denotes possession, measurement, or source. Okay. All right? The, gen the nominative form of Jesus is Jesus. Okay. The genitive is Jesu. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the ablative is the same. Okay. Now, the accusative is the direct object of a verb or an object of certain prepositions. Okay. And Jesus would be Jesun. It oh, would wow. end in an N. Wow, I've never heard, seen it spelled that way. Well, well, it is quite often in the, okay. in, in the New Testament. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, the dative case, it, the dative case represents um, 
It, it's grouped together with two other cases, the instrumental and the locative, okay, in Greek. And it, the dative is the recipient of an act, action or the object of certain prepositions. Okay, yeah. So if I said to the store, mm -hmm. I would write store in the dative case. Right. Okay, so I would have a preposition ice, which is to, mm -hmm. and I might have a an article, yeah. Okay. And the word for store, well, agora, to the agora, which is the market in Greek, yeah. agora would be written in a dative case, meaning instead of having an A at the end, uh -huh. it would have an A-I at oh, okay. the end. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's also used, the same case, the, the same inflections in Greek are used with the instrumental case, which express means, agency, or accompaniment. Uh -huh. okay. At the store, <laughs> by the store, with the store, right. for the store, would, through the store, okay. would all be the, that same case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay? And the locative, well, yeah, the locative is at the store. That would be place in which or time at which something happens, and, and that would be the locative at the store, oh, okay, would be... It would be that same, the dative instrumental locative cases are the same set of inflections in Greek, and the ending is spelled differently. And when I see that ending, we know that it's the dative case. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I could point at any noun in the New, you could point to any noun in the New Testament, and I could automatically tell you what case it is. Right. Simply by the ending. And, and it takes some time to get accustomed to all the endings, but they can all be identified, and they all have, give that word a, a different shade of meaning in the context of the sentence. Yes, yes. Uh, okay, so so now that's it for the cases of a noun. Yeah. That, so, now, yeah, so all of this is reflected in the Greek, but much of it is absolutely lost in the English, and uh, it's, it's very evident that... Uh, well, right, the only case we have in English is that basically the genitive is apostrophe yes. Right. And, and all the rest of the context is um, from the word order, and and we'll get into that a little in a little bit with verbs. Okay. Or from the prepositions. Bill yeah. is at the store. Okay. But the spelling of the store doesn't change. Okay. Bill is in the store. Right. Yeah. You know. And if and if we wanted to write um. Bill blew up the store. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, the spelling would change. <laughs> right, but Bill blew up the store. In Greek, the words the store would be written in the accusative. Right. Because they are the object. Uh-huh. Okay. okay? Yes. Now, now, we could write, um, Bill is, Bill threw the ball. Okay? And in Greek, Bill would be in the nominative case mm -hmm. because that is the subject, subject of the sentence. Right. And ball would be in the accusative case. Right. Always. Yes. Because that because would the be object. Right. the object, object of the sentence. Right. Okay. And it doesn't matter what order the words are in. And Greek does not follow the subject verb object pattern all the time. Right. It does sometimes. But sometimes it's subject, object, verb, and sometimes it's verb, subject, object. Well, yeah, and, we, and that happens occasionally even in English, but usually only in poetic form, as, for example, uh, the ball bill through. <laughs> okay, sometimes you see that poetically, but by and large in English it's always 
you know, subject, verb, object, almost right. always. Yeah. Well, right. But mm-hmm. in, in Greek and in Latin, I've taken Latin, I've taken Spanish, and yeah. it's often different. Yeah. Now, that's where the Strong's with nouns falls far short. Okay. You cannot translate from a Strong's concordance if you don't know the case and the number, okay. whether it's singular or plural, uh, yes. of the noun. You'll, you'll miss some fine points, certainly. What about the uh, interlinear? Well, well, you're going to miss a lot because every noun is in the nominative singular. Right, okay. That, you know, because that's saying. the dictionary definition. Right, so it doesn't You're tell never you. going to see, you know, cross-referencing the, the English mm-hmm. King James with his strongs. Yeah. You won't see the case or the number of the noun. Okay, now what about these interlinear Bibles that uh, you know give you the definition of each word, or at least the transliteration of each word in English? Well, well, that's the next step in learning how to translate. Okay, is usually the interlinear Bible. You'll be able to see that the the word and that the form is a little different from the dictionary word. Okay, because the dictionary word is always the nominative singular case. Right. In every lexicon, that's how they list nouns and adjectives. Yes. Nominative singular. And okay. adjectives have the same um, cases in Greek that nouns do. Okay. 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 In other words, if if you had written um, the the Greek words for bill through the verb mm-hmm. and and ball and red and jumbled them up. Yes. Okay. And and you don't know if it's if it says the red, the red ball bill, bill <laughs> the, the, yeah, the red bill through the ball or bill right. through the red ball. Yeah, jumble it all up, right. Yeah. However, in Greek, the adjective would be the same case as the noun that it modifies. Uh-huh, okay. Okay, and so it's very it would make rare more that sense it's not. Immediately, yes. So immediately you would know that it's the ball that's red and not the thrower. Right, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. Because that's built into the, the grammar of the language. Right. Yes. It would be the same case as the, the, the noun that it modifies. Yeah, so in English, you really have to get the order correct for that problem not to occur. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But Greek, you, you don't even have to get the order. Right. Just throw the words in a blender, and I'd still be able to put the sentence together. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, because... And that's how some of the King James translations sound. Well, that's how they did. That's when the blender was, that's when the blender was invented. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay, very good. Okay, now, so now that's that's nouns basically, okay. and, and you can't translate from Strong's just for that reason because mm-hmm. you don't see all mm-hmm. the forms of the word. Right. But it's worse than that because we're going to get into verbs. Right, right. Well, let okay. me just say at this point because it's on my mind, uh, the fact that you know I've only had concordances to work with. Uh, I don't really have never really concerned myself with grammar. It's just like a particular word in a particular sentence. You know that this one word has been mistranslated or is misused, and you know, really the grammar doesn't come into play when you're just focusing on one word, how it's used in a particular sentence, if the definition is correct or incorrect. you know. And that's basically what I've been focusing on, and I've found many Hebrew and Greek words have been terribly, terribly translated. you know. Well, exactly. Right. But, but that you know, doesn't give any insights use... onto the grammar and how the grammar might affect that, that sentence. Well, hugely. I mean, compare mm-hmm. my translation to the King James, and, and I, I would say that my grammar is legitimate sure. and, and defend it, and, and I, I would say that often the King James is indefensible, the grammar. Right. Right. And, and that's, 
you know, that's a matter of um. Mm-hmm. So there's you deliberate know, obfuscation taking place by the translators to universalize the text, to universalize the message. This well, right. Fausto has a little test that he likes to pull, and, and he likes to ask people if they know the difference between pistos and pistis. <laughs> and, and pistis is a noun, and yeah. that's faith, and, and pistos is the adjective. Okay, facial? Well, faith and, and um, trustworthy. Oh. Okay, you know, okay. pistos is trustworthy. Oh, it's something... If, if you can have faith in something, oh, you use an adjective, oh, okay, faith. pistos, right. and apply it to it. Yeah. And pistis is the noun. Yeah. P-I-S-T-I-S. Right. Uh, okay? And, and you know, you go to 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 6.14, and they take apistos, which is a, a negative pistos, it's yeah. the adjective, right. and they translate it as a noun. <laughs> uh, okay, and that's an example. So, and, and as opposed to physical, a when you put an a, it would be like non-physical in the Greek. So, so apistos or whatever, well, whatever the no, word for physical well, is. Well, the a is the negative part. Right, of it. that's what I mean. So, it would replace in English would be non, n-o-n, non-faithful, right? Yeah, untrustworthy. Or un, or yes, exactly, un. Yes. Right, right, and that's an example of, of the King James confusing a noun and an adjective. Right. Okay. So, what is that? What is that verse? Second Corinthians, First Corinthians six fourteen. Did you say? Yeah. What is that really saying then? Because well, well, it says, "Do not be yoked together with untrustworthy aliens." Is what it says. <laughs> okay. Do not be unequally yoked together. Is the King? I don't have it in front of me, but unequally yoked together is the King James translation. With unbelievers. With unbelievers. Yes. But, yeah, okay. right. Well, well, untrustworthy aliens comes from a verb. Okay. And, and I proved that that's the meaning of the verb. Okay. And, and I, I, you know, it's it's we have to do a Septuagint examination to do that. Yeah, so here uh, an alien is translated as an unbeliever, and I had the same uh, discussion with Well, they brother. ignored the, the meaning of, you know, the verb yes. to be yoked together to others, is, to aliens, is what the verb means. Yes, yes, I, I get you, I get you. And, you know, the same thing happens in Matthew uh, 25, uh, verse 31 or 32, I forget which one it is, where, uh, no, no, it's, it's actually translated correctly as nations, that when he comes, to, he will separate, when he returns at the second coming, he will separate one nation from another. But a lot of people translate that as believers, you know, or they read believer instead of nation. Yeah, right. It's Matthew chapter 25, and it says nation. Yeah, it says nation. You can't translate a word that means nation as believer, but yet right. people do that. And, yeah. and they turn to the explanation of the behavior, yeah. and they want to change the noun, the meaning of the noun. Right. And, and really, the, the explanation of the behavior describes the, um, the general characteristics of the nation. Right, 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 yeah. So yeah, so First uh, uh, Corinthians or Second Corinthians six fourteen should imply aliens, not unbelievers. That's, Absolutely, that's what you're saying. Very interesting. Now, now let's go to verbs, and let's talk about verbs for a little while. If you think nouns are complicated, you haven't seen anything, <laughs> yeah, right? Because verbs are complicated. No wonder people flunk grammar constantly. <laughs> I mean, we put we we conjugate our verbs when it's past tense, we stick ed on front of it. When it, when it's imperfect, we stick was in front of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, ed on the back of it. Or or would have been and might have been. Oh you know, well, yeah. There's a couple other words. Right. And, and we use them. The perfect. It, yes, exactly. We we use the, all these little words as the replacement. Would have was might be. Yes. For the the, the um for what the Greeks say in one word. Yes. By changing the beginnings and the endings of the verb. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Understood. Now. 
one Greek verb, every Greek verb has its basic present form, right? Mm-hmm. Of, um... Like to be. But let be. me take to be, right? Yes. Well, that's not good in English because no. it changes for every, every, um... Right, that, that one changes a lot, yeah. I am, you were, we was, you know, it gets crazy. <laughs> now, now, okay. We be. Let's take <laughs> yeah, I no, run. No English, we be. <laughs> yeah, I run, and you run, uh-huh. and he, she, or it runs. Right. Uh, that's the first person... That, that's the first person, second person, and third person present singular. Yeah. Okay? Of the, of the inverb. And, and that's the indicative mood, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Okay. Now, we run, and then we have a serious problem in English. Use run, or, or the, the second person plural, which we don't have in English, which is the cause for much confusion, and they run. Okay? We should have... Six basic conjugations of of a verb. Now, now this verb in Greek would not have would only be one word. I run is treko, okay? And treko is what you're going to see every time you look at the verbs run or ran or runs in the English part of the concordance. It's always going to take you to the verb treko, and that is the first. Person, singular, present, indicative form of the verb. Mm. Now, that is the dictionary form. Okay. If you look up, if it says they ran or you run or we run, the the Strong's concordance is always going to take you to treco. And because Strong's is not a grammar book and it's not a real lexicon, you're never going to see where a passage has trekine. Uh-huh. Which means to run. Okay. Or, or trek a, which is you run. Yes. Or trek as, which is he runs. Okay. Uh, okay? All these different forms. Yes. yes. Now, now, it's more complicated than this, and, and it's a lot more complicated, because in Greek, it, we're only talking about the present tense now. Right. Okay? Right. These six forms, these six different forms, they have. Four or five different moods. <laughs> okay. The form of the word changes at the ending. The ending of the word changes if it's whether it's indicative, okay. or whether it's optative, okay. or imperative, or subjunctive. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now subjunctive is like I would run, or, mm-hmm. or you know I should run. Yeah. And optative expresses a wish. Yeah. Like I, I kinda wanna run. <laughs> right. or, or imperative But my ex- leg hurts. <laughs> I- imperative is I must run. Okay, yes. Uh, okay? All of these are a different form of the word in Greek. Yeah. And I can identify most of them most of the time. And and then some of them I just gotta look up. Right. O- right. Okay? So we have um f- we we also have voices. Okay. <laughs> okay. Aside from this, we have voices. Okay. So, so we take one verb, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we multiply it by six for number. Yes. And, and there's six forms of that one verb for the present indicative tense. Yeah. <laughs> I, he, you, they, we, and, and you plural. Uh-huh. Which, you know, we, we colloquially, we recognize that English lacks the second person plural. Yeah. So down south they say y'all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and that, that kind of makes up for the second person plural. And up right. north we say yous. Good. Oh, okay, and that yeah. kind of, yous guys run, yous right, run. Right, that's Chicago, yous. Well, well, it's New York too, basically. Okay. And, yeah. and Jersey.
that's, you know, we're trying to make up for not having this second person plural in English. Right, right. Okay. Uh, okay. But in Greek, we can always recognize the second person plural. Okay. It's never a problem. However, when we go to the Strong's Concordance, we can't recognize anything because <laughs> all the verbs are only listed by the first person singular yeah. present indicative. Right. By that same, so how could you translate with a concordance? <laughs> right. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Now, now the Greek language has voice in its verbs, and the form changes for every voice, and the form changes for every mood. Now the voice is um, is active, medium, or passive. There's mm-hmm. three different voices. Yeah. Okay. So now an active voice verb means that when I say I when I use, say treco I run that's the active voice okay yeah that means that the um that that the subject is the one um that that's going to run okay okay in the passive voice and and that doesn't work with the verb run but it works with the verb beat. Right. okay yeah. Yeah, you know if we see the word run I an beat, verb. <laughs> that means I'm the one swinging the bat yeah but when we see that First person in the passive voice means I'm the one being beaten. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, that's the difference, and that's a big difference. And then there's the medium voice. Now, sometimes there's, there's what's called a deponent verb where the medium voice is used as an active verb. Okay. And that's with a few words. Okay, there are a few words like that in the New Testament. Okay. However, the medium voice usually usually means that the, um, that the subject is the one who is the initiator and the recipient of the action. Okay, now that's so that interesting. Would be like, I beat myself. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, that's how we say that. I, or I hate myself as, as a self-hating Jew might say. <laughs> well, right. But now I want you to think about this because the form of the word actually does change. Okay. The Greeks used a different form of the word. Now this is only the present tense, right? Uh-huh. Now there are six forms for number. Okay, singular, plural, and and I, you, he, she, it, we, they, you know, there's six forms. Now, there's like five different or four different moods. I think there's five different moods. Okay. Uh, Okay. So multiply that six times five, we have 30 forms of the same verb. Yeah. And multiply that by three different voices. Mm -hmm. We -hmm. have 90 forms of the same verb. We have not left the present tense. Yes. Okay. We have an aorist tense. I, I we sure don't, have. <laughs> we have an aorist tense, uh-huh. and we don't even have in English. Right. The aorist tense denotes an action that may have taken a long time to occur mm-hmm. or, or may have started in the past that has not yet. Yeah, it's still happening. Right. Yes. It's still okay. Happening. Yeah. okay. We have an imperfect tense. We have a future tense, a past tense, a perfect tense and a pluperfect tense, we have like six different tenses, three different voices, um, six different numbers, five different moods, and you multiply all those numbers, and that's how many forms you can have in one Greek verb. Uh-huh. And I haven't yeah, gotten yeah. the participles. Right, right. Let's talk right. about participles. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just trying to show right. how complicated this exactly. is. Exactly. It's not kitty stuff. Right. You right. can't pick up a concordance and translate the Bible with right. it. Right. Because exactly. you can't exactly. see all these different forms of these words. Well, here, now, before you go on, so what was the next part of speech here? <laughs> well, participles are participles, still in right. verbs. Okay. We haven't left verbs yet. Right. Uh, and um, I would say, you know, because we've been doing these shows now, like, for over a year, and um, I would say,
because what I do is very simple compared to, you know, the knowledge of the Greek that you have. But uh, And I'm, I'm basically trying to find out where the Bible contradicts itself or simply doesn't make any sense, okay? And that's all I'm trying to decide, you know. And, and very often that decides the issue as to whether a verse has been translated well or not, okay? So, uh, and I would say that from that principle, uh, you've only corrected me maybe five or six times in all this, you know, from my, you know, corrected version, okay? So, again, I'm, I'm saying I'm not doing anything nearly as complicated as what you're doing, but you can certainly improve your understanding of the Bible by using concordance, even though it doesn't provide you with all of this information, you know. But uh, I'm only doing very limited work here, you know, trying to figure out, you know, why this sentence is contradictory or why this sentence just doesn't make any sense, you know. Okay, so please continue. Well, well, right. Mm-hmm. And, and a participle is like running. It's like runners. It, it, well, it could be runners. Mm-hmm. And it's like a participle, it, it's often used as the gerund. Or, or um, okay. It, it's, okay, those who are running. gerund is an active verb of a noun. Right, like running. Right. Uh, okay. Walking. The participle, the first person present participle with the verb treko, I run, is trekon. Okay. And, and that's a first person present running, uh-huh. sort of. Right. And that can be used as a noun. Yes. Okay. But participles have something else. They also have case. Okay. So participles have all their own different forms. <laughs> okay. Yes. And then they also have the forms of nouns. Okay. And this is all built into the spelling of every word. Yeah, it's built into the spelling. Amazing. It, it's amazing. The, the present tense right. participle of, of of a verb, I'm I'm looking at it right now. It's four it's twenty four different um forms. Yeah. yeah, right. For one verb. And and it's great. Luon is the yeah. first is the present tense nominative case yeah. of the participle for, for I lose or, now, or now, I believe. Let me ask you a question here because right now we're basically talking about the written forms of all these words. Given the fact that you have so many different forms of all these words. They were also the spoken form. Right. Now, aren't you confronted with a problem here with all these different forms in terms of understanding one another? Don't you have to pronounce these words very precisely to not get them all confused, you know? Well, right, and and the, we see confusion sometimes okay. in, in the scribes in the manuscripts of the New Testament. Yes, okay. Where, where two forms are so close to each other, and, and one might be spelt with the ADA, where another form is spelt with the AI, okay. and, and the ADA is pronounced very much like the AI diphthong. Yes. And, yes. and they would all, one manuscript has the AI, and another manuscript has the ADA. Okay. And, and there is sometimes confusion yeah. over that. Mm-hmm. And, and usually the context will fix that. Right, usually, yes. Uh, okay. Now, how this worked... With a with hundred or so different forms of one <laughs> verb in ancient Greece, yeah. I mean, I could only guess. Well, you know, o- but... only the guy who wrote the dictionary actually did that. <laughs> <laughs> but we know all these forms existed yeah. because we have a huge body of Greek literature, right. and, and most of these forms have been identified in the literature. Yes, yes. Uh, fascinating. It's really fascinating stuff. You know, most people don't appreciate how simple English grammar is. When you compare it to other languages, English is really, I, I can't think of a, a simpler grammar than English, you know. So we're actually, we're blessed in that sense. But then we have to use very descriptive uh, adjectives, adverbs, uh, participles, et cetera, et cetera, to make the point 
where sometimes the point is built into the word in Greek or German. You know? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now, now um, uh, how many more parts or, or different forms do we uh, have to go through? Because I, I just want to make sure we get to uh, Revelation 5.5 5 and, uh, you know, point out, you know, what's going on there. Well, right. I, I would just like to say that a participle can often be used as a noun. Okay. Because yeah. it has... It it has um it has tense uh-huh. okay perfect tense right or or aorist tense or present tense it has case meaning nominative case genitive case and so we could say of the runners mm-hmm. by using the participle in the genitive case. And, and it's actually a verb, mm-hmm. but we're going to use it with the article, the proper article. We're okay. going to put the in front of it. Yes. And and that would be in the genitive plural case. Okay. Because even the Greek article has a dozen or so different forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. The word the, okay, has a nominative, a genitive, a dative, an accusative form <laughs> in singular and plural. Yeah. In Masculine, feminine, and neuter. Yeah, German has der, das, des, dem, and maybe I don't know, maybe even more for for the. Well, there's 24 <laughs> forms of the Greek article. Right. And, and yes, oh, it, my it, goodness, 24. Okay. 24 forms, except yeah, you know, it's a little short because the neuter plural and the neuter singular are the same in the accusative and the nominative. Uh huh. Okay. So, so there's really like. 22 forms. That's yeah. all. Okay. And, and that's just the letter, that's just the, yeah. the word the. Yeah. It's all that is. But if you take that and you put it in front of a participle, what you have now is a substantive. Okay. And that is a word or a group of words that act as a noun. Okay. Even though they aren't really a noun. Like in English, maybe the running. Or your exactly. Yeah. And we would translate it the runners. Okay. Or the runner, depending on the number, singular mm. or plural. Oh, okay, I see. Okay. okay. And and we could have in the dative case it would mean with the runner. Uh-huh. In in the genitive case it would mean of the runner. Uh-huh. Okay. In the accusative case we would look for the verb mm-hmm. because the runner is the object of the verb. So to the runner. Well, well, it, it depends like on the verb. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, he hit the runner. Okay. It, you right. know, or he threw the ball at the, the runner. runner. Right, or at the runner, right. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, that's, that's um, and that's a participle. It's a mm-hmm. verb. It, it's actually a whole group of verbs for each word. Right. That can be a noun. Right. So let me ask you a question. When, when you were translating your version of the New Testament, directly from the Greek. I don't know, were you comparing your translation to other versions such as the King James at the time, just to check how you... Well, I translated, no. For the most part, I did not. I didn't want to be influenced. And even knowing the King James so well, you know, I was still probably influenced in many respects. But I did not... When I decided to... um, You know, I didn't decide to sit and translate the New Testament. Okay. I decided that I was going to I was going to translate Paul, because Paul was very badly translated. Right. And, and a good friend took my Paul translation, and, and all my notes, 1,200 and f- mm-hmm. 1,250 footnotes, and decided he was going to type it for me. Uh-huh. 
I was like, holy wow, this guy typed it. I'm going to keep translating. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing I did was translate Luke and Acts. Uh, okay. And, and 2,500 footnotes. Wow, okay. And he typed them up for me, and, and the guy was just great. I, I mean, he, he typed the whole thing for me. Fantastic. I sent him 610 pages, and he typed it. Uh, okay. <laughs> so so um, yeah, yeah. two years before I left prison, I, I realized that they didn't give me enough time. <laughs> and I, I said, you mean I you want to stay in prison to do well, more well, translation? Well, no, I'm just guessing. But I said, I better get my translation done. Yeah. So, so I finished my translation in prison, and Luke and John, my uh, – uh, Luke and Paul, I have all my notes for, except now I could greatly expand my notes for Paul. Yeah, okay. And I kind of feel, I kind of feel like restarting it again. Right. No, but I you... have um, Matthew and my, my Matthew, Mark, James, Peter, Jude, and John right. notes are sitting in about two dozen notepads over, right. over there in a box. Now, are these notes, generally speaking, about how the Greek grammar? Yes, uh, most has, of, most has, of my should notes, have been translated as opposed to how it's been translated. Right, most of my okay. notes are about problems with the the translation from the King James uh-huh. because I did check the King James for my notes. Yes, and okay. uh, but not for my translation. I see. Okay. I, I would compare it when I was done. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, okay. And go back and look at my at, at my translation and write my notes. Uh-huh. And, and in okay. And uh, most of my notes are um. Differences in the various manuscripts. Uh-huh. And, and I took all the manuscripts past the 6th century and threw them out. <laughs> okay. I didn't use any notes in my translation. All of the, the manuscripts that I followed, of the, basically the Codex Sinaiticus with the Codex Vaticanus and the Ancient Papyri okay. is, is what my translations follow. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah. Any other uh, parts of speech that we need to consider before we uh, actually go into some well, well, you know, we have prepositions. Okay. And, and we have other little particles. Mm-hmm. And you don't see them in Strong's. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay? You don't. Strong supplied, and, and, and he bragged about it, and it's horrible, and he shouldn't have bragged about <laughs> it. Yeah, you know, but uh, a lot of the introduction with Strong's is advertising to sell books. I, okay. I mean, let's, let's right. Let's be real. Okay. He supplied what he calls an appendix to the main concordance, and and he'll have the word a, uh, and every time it appears in every verse, and right. just a list of the verses and a frequency. Right. And That's he'll have two thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Greek has no indefinite article, and I don't think Hebrew does either. That, right. The, the, you know the word a uh, or a in English or, or an, an yes is yes. called the indefinite article. Right. And, and Latin doesn't have any articles, huh. and Greek. Latin doesn't have an article. Really? There's no word Z in Latin. Okay. And, and Greek has the definite article, but not the indefinite. Okay. So, so, you know, a lot of this appendix is just showing. Now, we see the word and, uh, okay? And in Hebrew, that comes from one letter, the vav. Okay. Uh, okay, set before a word. And, and in Greek, it usually comes from kahi. And Strong's has a number up here, 2532. And I know that's kahi. Okay. But I also know that very often, and, and this might lead somebody to believe that every time it says and in the New Testament, mm-hmm. that the word is 2532 kai. Okay. But that's not true. Okay. Because an awful lot of times, the words de, D-E, or the words te, T-E, are translated as and. Oh, really? 
Okay. But you can't see that in Strong's Concordance. Right. Uh, okay. So you can't – aside from all the other problems, there's a serious <laughs> problem with prepositions. Okay. Uh, okay? And and there's – um. Yeah, you you just can't use the the Strong's concordance to translate. He has one you know one Greek word listed for from, but there's several Greek words that give us from. Yes. Ek and apo being the primary two. Yeah. Oh, okay, and I think he only has ek listed there, or or one or the other, I forget. But there, there's some serious problems with Strong's. It's uh-huh. a very good tool for checking the basic meanings of words. Right. For seeing what word a word was translated from. But don't try to translate with the Strong's. Okay. Because you can't see the number, the case, the tense, the mood, so many things, nuances of translation. You don't know if a verb says he ran, they Mm -hmm. ran, we ran, he runs, he will run, he did run, he might run. You don't know that. You can't see any of that. Yeah, right. You know, there's a lot of problems trying to translate from the Strong's. You You can only translate from the Greek text. And understanding all the parts of speech, and it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying, you know, that um, that most people can't learn it. Most intelligent people can learn it. Yeah. Like, you know, when difficult. I when I decided to translate Paul, I sat for a good month and studied English grammar. Okay. Yes. And and made sure I knew. Yeah, you know both. You have all both. these parts of speech in <laughs> yeah. English grammar. Before I went and tried to learn them in Greek grammar. Yes, yes. Yeah, so you can't just sit down like an interlinear uh, form and just, you know, convert the words from Greek words to English words. Right, but I did read the interlinear for a couple of months when I started, and that helped a lot. It helped me memorize the vocabulary. Okay. Because right now, you know, I haven't read much Greek in, in the last year, I haven't had much time. I can still read the Greek to the New Testament, but I have to look up words at a slightly higher frequency. When, when a, a year ago, I didn't have to look up any words right. in the New Testament. Yeah, just, you know, I could read every word. Now I got to look up a couple of words a paragraph because I haven't had the repetition, and sure. you do start to lose the vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. and and that's you know that I'll never forget how to learn how to read Greek because I understand the grammar. And that's not going to go away. Yeah. You know, I'm always right. going to be able to recognize an aorist verb. Yeah. Or, or that on, on very few occasions, you could confuse an aorist and, imp- and an imperfect. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But that doesn't really kill you in the English translation. Right. right. Yeah, you know, and, and mm-hmm. th- there are some things that you, you might have to look up. But for the most yeah. part, the, the gra- once you absorb the grammar and you've worked with it for a long time, yeah. the only problem is um, vocabulary. And that comes with repetition, yes, like anything yes. else. So in general, would you say that the fine-tuning that Greek has that English doesn't have, uh, the translator really has to uh, use descriptive adjectives and adverbs to make up for that? Is, is, well, that... no, because Greek has plenty of adjectives and adverbs. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, so... yeah, we have to use a lot of, um, it, with in conjunction with verbs, and the aorist tense especially, uh-huh. we, we have to use um, he had run okay. a, a lot. Or, or okay. you know, we have to try to make up for the aorist and the imperfect. Yes. And, and sometimes so that's verb difficult. construction. Verb construction, yeah. Right. That, that's the biggest shortcoming in English is not having good tenses and, yeah. and conjugations in our verbs. Right. And so if you're not familiar with those various tenses, 
And the ARS being, is that the one that's self-referential? Is that that's that's the one uh, where the subject and object are are always the same? Well, well, no, that's the medium voice. Medium voice. Okay. That that the, the um. Yeah, and the so medium voice usually, I, I mean, they have a deponent medium, meaning that it's used as an active verb. But in the medium voice, usually, and and there's a lot of differences in my translation in one Corinthians, mm. yeah, because of the medium voice. Okay. With, with rhetorical questions, ah, right, that the King right. James did <clears throat> not read the medium yeah. voice correctly to realize that these were rhetorical questions. Right, right. Yeah, and I noticed that uh, not being aware of Greek grammar, I, I noticed a lot of the verses in Paul that were clearly rhetorical but were not presented as such. They, they weren't obviously such, okay? And I just concluded that, well, he's not making a simple declarative sentence here. This sounds more like a, rhetor- a rhetorical <laughs> statement, and they're and not all rhetoric, not all rhetoricals are questions. They can be stated in a you know a well, declarative right. form. Well, rhetorical statements also. Yeah, that's right. And then you know, and so the, and a lot of these rhetorical statements are translated or assumed by the Paul bashers to be simple declarative when they're not. Right. Okay. Now, so, now we can, I got Revelation five five in front of me. Okay. Uh, I mean. It's it's not and and this has been contested recently and I, and I'll get right to the contested part. Okay, yeah. And and one of the elders said to me that that's um, kahi heis and one that's that's not um, that that's not con- contested by anyone. Okay. Of the elders is ectone presbyteron. Okay. And, and that's the word we get presbyter from. Okay. And ek denotes. Source or origin, it's a preposition denoting source or origin. Okay. And tone presbuterone is the plural genitive noun, which right. which also denotes source or origin. So it's one of the elders. Okay, so we're talking the, the one of the elders, we're talking about, uh, did you say genitive is the case here of elders? Um, yes, it's the plural genitive. Okay. So we're talking about the, the source or origin, and, and, and some people... Well, re- well, the one is source or origin, yet, you know, the source or origin of the one is from among the elders, or okay, one right. of the elders. Yeah. And, and it's not one sent by the elders. Yes, okay. Uh, okay, which would, not, which would be phrased completely different. Okay, all right, I see, okay. So, and then it says, says to me, one of the elders of Israel, obviously... Right. There's, a, there's a quirk in John's writing, and I have said to me in my translation, but the noun is present. Yes. And, okay. and the, the quirk in John's writing is that John always used, uh, uh, very, very often used the present tense in, in a context that was definitely past. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay, and that's John, and that's true in John's gospel. Also. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, and, and most people would, would say it should have been said to me. Okay? Right. Because right. Well, are, right. Yeah, but he says he's uh, he's approaching it as if you know this is this is what I'm saying now. <laughs> right, John always seeing, does. That's that's now. a yes. quirk with John's Greek, and and that's a matter of John's style. Yes, but here okay. I translated it. I took the liberty and translated it in the past tense. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. And okay. and if you translated John, you would understand why. I did sure, that. sure. That, that that's repeated in John. Yeah, in the Book of Revelation. Yes, uh, very often in the Book and, of Revelation, and, and, and sometimes in the Gospel of John too. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, and one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep." Okay, and and that's the singular, and, and yeah. not. And the King James says, "Weep not." That that's that 
Same exact same sense, right? Okay. Right. Behold. Now, that is the word edu. And that is actually, it's an interjection. I translate it as an interjection here. Yes. You know, behold with the exclamation point. But it actually means literally, you look. Look at You know, you look. look or, hey, you see this. Or, yes. or look over here or something like that. Right. But it actually means you look. And, that, and that's behold. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, we get into word order. Like I said, you can put the words in a blender. <laughs> okay? Yeah, okay. Has prevailed. Now, this is. The um, aorist tense, okay, and it's the third person singular active <laughs> indicative form okay. of the verb nikao or, or to prevail. Mm-hmm. Okay, there right. is no doubt from from the form of the word that it's third person singular and that it is active. Yes. Okay, it's not passive. Okay. Okay. Now, some people confuse the tense with the voice because it's prevailed, meaning it's passive. No, it's an active verb, and it's in the aorist tense, which means it's 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 recognized. You know, it's interpreted here as being the past tense because we don't really have an aorist tense in English. Now, the lion, ho leon. Now that is the nominative case. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ho is the nominative singular article. Leon is the nominative case of the lion. So now, Leon is a verb that is, um, it, it's not a regularly declined verb, but it has an accusative form, Leontas. Okay. So if it was the, uh, if it was the object of the verb, it would be tone Leontas. Mm-hmm. It would never be ho Leon. It's the, this is definitely the nominative case. That's the subject. Subject. Yeah. Okay. Look at the, and this is the subject. Look at this, the subject, which is the lion. Right. Okay. So because of this construction, the lion has to be the subject of that verb prevailed. Right. It's the lion that's doing the prevailing. That's the grammar. Okay. There's no dispute in Greek. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This cannot be disputed. And this is how the King James translates it, so this is a good translation. Right, absolutely. Yes. Now there's a now there's another article, ho, and I'm going to talk about that article in a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay, but let's get past it. Ek denoting source or origin. Teisphules Judah, the of the tribe of Judah. Okay. Teisphules is the singular genitive of the tribe. Mm-hmm. I don't even need the ek. The ek only stresses the fact right. that the lion is. Of the tribe of Judah. Right. So it's, it's it's more emphatic in this case. You're saying. Right. Yeah. Now okay. Judah is is basically indeclinable. It's not declined. Okay. Uh, okay. It, it's um it's it, it's it's hard to it's declined, but it's hard to separate the declensions because there really aren't a full set of declensions with the word. Yeah. Is that okay? because it's if not it was nominative, it would be you. It would end in an s. Yeah. Okay. Judas. But it. I've never seen it spelled with an N as the accusative. But you said the same thing about David earlier. Is it the fact that these are words from another language? Well, yes, language? yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. David is never declined anywhere. Yes. Okay. It's, always the, it's always the same. Could be David Das or David E or, you know. Yeah. In fact, the, the Hebrews do that. They say, Yar David E. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, well yeah, right. But they make that up. That. That's yeah, yeah that's made up. That's yeah. Yiddish. That's not it's Yiddish. It's Yiddish, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so there's no doubt 
that the lion is of the tribe of Judah. But let's go back to that article that I said we were going to skip over, Ho. Okay. And that could be translated, okay? It could be if the translator so choose, chose to, and I didn't choose to, mm-hmm. okay? But it could be translated, the lion, he who is of the tribe of Judah, or the lion, he of the tribe of Judah. And if you wanted to really make it emphatic, you would translate it that way. Okay, but but I, common sense tells you that the lion is of the tribe of Judah. So I chose not to translate the second article. Okay, but it's called a bracketing article. It's an article that that makes the connection because it's the the same case, gender, and number as the the case, gender, and number of the lion. It's making it perfectly clear that this lion is of the tribe of Judah. Okay, there's no doubt. Yes. Now, the root of David. Now, David is in its, it's D-A-U-I-D in Greek, and yes. it doesn't change in the genitive form. Okay, it's still the same as the nominative form. It's an indeclinable noun. Yeah, okay. Okay, but the root is in the nominative form. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yes. which means in Greek that it's part of the same subject. Okay. It, it, the whole thing together is called the subject predicate. It's right. a group of words that make up the subject of the sentence. Right, right. Okay? They're all in the nominative form, and that's what this is. Yes. Okay? Yes. So we have the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. That whole clause is the subject of the sentence. Okay. Okay? Yeah. I think... Has prevailed. Because in in English, we have that subject, verb, object pattern. Yes. We have to move that has prevailed to follow the subject right. for it to make sense in English. Well, yeah, we could read it, has prevailed the line of the tribe of Judah. You know, and, you know, but that would be awkward in English, but it still could be understood. But you're right. saying that's the order in the Greek. Okay. Right. Well, right, that's the order in the Greek, and when we make an interlinear, which is what I have here in this paper, that's um, the way we have to do it, by the that's order right. of the Greek. That's, that's right. what an interlinear is. We can't move the words around to how we feel like putting them in English. Yeah. Uh, right. Otherwise, some turkeys would move them to other sentences. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and in Greek, we clearly know, you know, from certain particles where, where a sentence starts and ends. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 90% of the time, anyway. Yeah. Okay, now, well, what has the line of the tribe of Judah had prevailed to do? Well, the next mm-hmm. word is, it, it's an infinitive form of the verb. And we translate that to run. To see, that's how we translate the infinitive usually. The okay. infinitive usually, okay. and this is the present infinitive, anoixahi, which means to open. Okay, to open. Yes. And, and it's very simple. The line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open. And this is a very simple verb, which only means to open. Mm-hmm. And, and some turkeys might try to say to destroy or to rip apart. <laughs> right. it, it only means to open. To open. Uh, okay? No, now, no. the next words are to biblion. And they're in the accusative case. Okay. And that has to be the object of the verb. That's right. Okay? Yeah. So the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, prevailed to open the object of the verb, the book. Yes. That's what the lion prevailed to open. Right. Uh, okay? Right. This cannot, you, you cannot make anything else out of these words. Mm-hmm. There okay. is no way that, that this could be switched around, that the subject and the object can be flipped, that, right. that the um, 
that the root of David and the line of the tribe of Judah can be separated. Yeah. They can't yeah. be separated because of the the number and the case of the nouns and the articles. Right, right. Okay. Very good. Now, I think it's in Genesis, uh, Genesis. Revelation 22 where uh, it says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Doesn't it, doesn't it say that? Yes. What? Verse 16, I, Yahshua, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I, I assume churches is mistranslated from Ecclesia. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And Yahshua, Christ, David, you know, can only have one root. Yes. I mean, we can't imagine he has more than one root. Yeah. And we can't imagine there's more than one David. That's so just ridiculous. He's talking, he's of the genetics of David. He created the genetics of David, and he's an offspring of the genetics and, of and David. And in the Old Testament, there's several prophecies that say that he would be the root and the offspring, yes. the root and the branch of Jesse. Right. Jesse, exactly. And Jesse is David's father. Right. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So if you're the root of Jesse, you're also the root of David, there's no doubt. Okay. And, and the people that think otherwise simply want to write their own Bible right. because they don't like the Bible we have. <laughs> so, so that's not Christianity. That's Vaudianity right. or Johnsonianity <laughs> right. or, or um, Walkeranity. Walker Troublemakeranity. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not Christianity. I see you know, if I, start preaching, if I start preaching something I make up, it's Billyanity. Right. It's not Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't just make up your own Bible because you don't like the Bible we have. Sure, That's sure. stupid. That's crazy. Well, yeah, it, basically uh, the, the Joseph Scepter theory basically says that all verses of, concerning Judah must be false because they assume that he's a Jew, and therefore Jesus can't be a Jew. <laughs> and we agree that Jesus is not a Jew, but the problem is that the Joseph Scepter people assume that Jew and Judah are uh Synonyms, and, and not... doing so, they give the Jews credibility. That's right. Now, but before we close, uh, I want you to discuss Revelation 26 because earlier you mentioned that you know you rely on these the, uh, the Sinaiticus and which one was the other one? Two basic texts. Well, well the best texts are the oldest. That's, that's just yes. the way it is. I, I mm-hmm. mean, not always. Not I mean, always, there yes. are there are. Um, you know, there are theoretical, and, and there are some instances in Scripture where a 6th century papyrus dug out of the ground right. might have a clearer rendering than, than an error that may have occurred in the Codex Sinaiticus. Right, understood, understood. But, you know, but have... usually, as a rule, the best text of the oldest. Yeah. Now, now, the King James Version of the Bible <laughs> is when you have read, and I've read, Every single passage in Greek, right? Um, many times, yeah. uh, okay. And and this 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 um, NA twenty seven, it, it tells me every difference in all the major manuscripts, okay. In every word. So the NA twenty seven is a cross referential work. Is that what that yes, is? Yes, it is. Okay, it's a clerical work. It's a cross referential work. I see. And, and basically, it um yeah you know the earliest versions of it followed um Westcott and Hort. 
Yes. Uh, okay, but later versions departed from that and were much more scholarly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but okay. actually, I, I misspoke. I meant uh, Revelation 25, not 26. Well, well, right. I knew what you meant. I yes. knew the I knew the the, um, the passage you meant. That's okay. Sure. And yes. we have some time. But let me read it here because uh, I, I want you to clarify what this what's really in this passage. It says, "But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished." This is the first resurrection. And now, what do we have in the Sinaiticus? And what was the other uh, reference uh, you, you prefer? The oldest ones, the two oldest ones. Well, well there there is a Sinaiticus. We don't have the, the Vaticanus. This Vaticanus. Um, okay. The, this this part of Revelation is missing. Really? Oh, okay. Yes. It's missing. You know, well, well, it's the end of the book, and I, I guess the worms got to it. Or oh, I see. You okay. know, I mean, well, we don't. Hardly, none of those ancient uh-huh. manuscripts are complete. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's okay. just the way it is. I, I mean, there's chunks of them missing, a little water damage, uh-huh. a, a couple of mods, a, a drunken monk. So you need and, those other versions to, to, to have a, come up with a complete text. I see. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. A- yes. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And to me, I think, I, I, my personal opinion is that the sciatic is, if, if I had only one manuscript, if you said, Bill, you could have any one of these manuscripts, you could only have one of them, I'd have to ask for the Sinaiticus. Okay. And, and the King James, and I started to say this before, and I'm wasting time while I'm looking for something. <laughs> okay. the, the, I'm looking for the the, um, the important witnesses of, of Revelation because I don't have his name in my head, this this monk. Um, now I do. Yes. The, the King James very much follows the Codex Alexandrinus. Okay. And all the supporters of the King James, they all, um, I, I don't know what they read, okay, but a lot of King James supporters have tried to say that the Codexes, the Codices, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, which are both 4th century Codices, yes. vellum manuscripts. Vellum is, um, it's very durable. It's actually made from, from sheepskin or sheepskin, lambskin. Sheepskin, right. right. Uh, okay? Mm-hmm. And as opposed to papyrus, which is um, paper made out of reeds, that that's very fragile right, and, and apart. falls apart. You guys know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are? Yes, they yeah. are. And and the only reason why they were preserved in the form they were was because of the extremely arid climate. Right. And, and the fact that they were in clay jars. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay, which is actually mentioned in Jeremiah, was actually told somewhere in Jeremiah, you know, take these scrolls and go put them in clay jars. Right. Okay. It, it's in Jeremiah. Yeah, right. it was an ancient practice. Okay. All now, right. Except I'm sure that Yahweh wasn't talking to, about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right. <laughs> right. Jeremiah, yes. there's historical evidence of that. So, um, so now, what is the reliability here now of the, the first, the first sentence in verse five? But the well, rest well, of the, the first sentence in verse five is attested to by the Sinaiticus. Okay. Uh, okay. And by all of the manuscripts known as the that collectively, you, you see, when the Textus Receptus was at first, the the word text, the phrase Textus Receptus originated as a printer's boast. Okay. By the Elzevers, who I think were Dutch Jews, okay, <laughs> and they were printers. They were they were printers from Holland, uh-huh. and, and they made this Greek text, and and they called it the Textus Receptus, the received text. I see. It was a printer's boast. Okay. How, however, since then, among scholars, the term has come to mean the 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 great body of Greek manuscripts employed uh-huh. by the Church 
Yeah, you know, in the 15, yeah. 16, 1700s. Okay, so the and, and there's variations of... among them, but generally they're known as the textus receptus or, or, the, or the majority text, which is a more proper term or for them. Or the approved text. Uh, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Majority text is probably the most proper term for them. Okay. But they're all from like the 12th century and later, all these majority text manuscripts. Okay. They're not early by any means. Okay. Uh, okay. So and, and what's the earliest for this? Verse 5, then, what are we talking about? Well, well, verse 5 goes back, you know, the first part of the verse, uh, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to find it now. i got more scribble on my pages. <laughs> um, and the, because, you know, I mean, there's a question, what is the first resurrection? What does that mean? You know, what is the first resurrection? And people assume that they know what these concepts mean, but then when you ask them, well, what is the first resurrection? What's the second resurrection? What's the third re- What do these terms mean to you, you know? And right. half the time they can't answer. Right. Yeah. Verse 5 is the first part of the verse says, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are completed. Okay. Okay. And actually that would be completed. Would that's be completed. Subjective. Right. Okay. And, and that's a perfectly literal translation. Okay. Now, that part of the verse only exists in a minority of received text, majority text manuscripts. Okay. Okay. In a minority. Okay. And that minority of majority text manuscripts come from the commentary of a medieval monk named Andreas of Caesarea. Okay. Okay. So it's a commentary. You don't think it's even an actual verse? Well, no. It's it's clearly documented that so, this group this group is called majority text group A. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. As opposed to. So it's an editor's commentary. You're saying. Yes, it's a medieval monk. Wow. He probably lived in the ninth century. Andreas of Caesarea. Mm-hmm. Okay. The word, the words in Revelations 25. Okay. The rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years would be completed. Uh-huh. Those words do not exist in the Codex Sinaiticus. Wow. They do not exist in the majority of the coin Greek majority text manuscripts. Yes. They don't exist in them. Even the the majority of the majority text manuscripts do not want this sentence. Do not have this sentence. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. But this sentence is also missing from the Codex Sinaiticus and from several other um seventh, eighth, ninth century manuscripts. Okay? And and it's it's missing in the um the Church Fathers. That, that record this verse don't mm-hmm. have, and, and I can cite from the NA twenty seven several church fathers. So in other words, it, it's very similar to if we took the uh, C.I. Schofield annotated Bible. <laughs> well, well, right. Now, and now then let me take say that the verse, one of his annotations and inserted it in the Bible as if it were the text. That's what right. You're now the verse does exist in a couple of Coptic and Syriac, and late Vulgate manuscripts, but they are all late manuscripts. None of them are early manuscripts. Okay? Mm -hmm. And and as far as I'm concerned, this verse originated probably in Andreas of Caesarea's commentary. Mm -hmm. Because they're the only copies of Revelation, that the ones that were in that comment, copies of that commentary, that had this verse. Yeah. Otherwise, the Greek would not know this verse at all. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. All Revelation 25 should say is, in, in the way I would translate it, uh-huh. and the way I did translate it, Okay. 
This is the first restoration. Okay, the restoration. That's all I say. Well, well, that word resurrection is also, and and it's more basically, anastasis is a restoration. Okay, so it's not a coming back to the life of the dead necessarily, which is commonly understood as resurrection. Well, exactly. The saints ruled with Christ for a thousand years, and and the way I see that is that's the first restoration of His government on earth. Yeah. That's the way I see that. Yes. Okay, that's my interpretation. However, my translation is, this is the first restoration. Uh-huh. That's it. Right. Very good. Very good. So, if you don't know these things about the original Greek, you can never, you would never suspect <laughs> that this is really a quite, in fact, a quite fanciful verse. That well, right, because that's another thing you would never see in Strong's. Uh-huh. You know, you would never see that in Strong's. Right. Yes. Okay. Very good. Well, I think uh, you know people have gotten a really good handle on what what needs to go into a translation from the Greek to the English, and uh, we've discovered in, in you know the Book of Acts, uh, the the Book of Galatians, and other books that uh, very often they did a horrible job. They obviously didn't know Greek grammar very well. Whoever the King James editors was, and that's what they are—they're editors, not just translators, because every translation is also subject to tremendous editing they uh they really didn't know the greek grammar too well <laughs> okay i mean that that was obvious to me especially in the writings of paul and then they deliberately reversed the subject and object of many many senses they did that quite a few times yes mm-hmm. yes so there are many passages especially in the new testament that are simply not reliable and therefore you must be able to refer back to the original language to correct these errors yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's why the vast majority of Judeo-Christians today are simply befuddled. You know, what uh, what is taught in the name of the New Testament is a lot of nonsense <laughs> that's been universalized and uh you know, and generalized and spiritualized for the benefit of the church's agenda. Well, right, and some people that revolt against it, that they don't they don't understand it. They'd rather rewrite it. You can't rewrite the right. Bible. Yeah, and, and, uh, I can understand, and, and that's why Paul has so many enemies, you know, not just in Christian identity, but in other places as well. But, you know, that uh, that animosity toward Paul is totally misplaced because he didn't translate with his own writing. <laughs> and what he wrote is very often terribly, terribly misrepresented. Well, Paul, well, first he wrote the most. Right. You know, so he's going to be the biggest target. Right. There's sure. no doubt. Sure. Uh, okay. And yeah. and second, Paul's right. His epistles are not his gospel. Mm-hmm. His epistles are the application of his gospel in the world at the time. Right. And there are letters to particular people that cannot be universalized. Absolutely. Yes. So you have to take that into consideration too. Right. And, 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 well, who am I to squeeze in on a letter with from your wife <laughs> right. to you? Oh, see, yeah, you know, yeah. Paul wrote this letter it. to somebody else. Oh, it's about me. <laughs> it's to me, right? Exactly. That's, that's just crazy. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. Uh, I think uh, you know. Uh, so next week we're going to uh, hone in on Second Corinthians. Yes, Second yes. Corinthians, and yeah. and, and John on it. Yeah, and, and so I think uh, you, you gave the audience uh, a very good feel of a grasp of what really needs to take place in translating. From the Greek to the English, and you know, and obviously these things, have, you know, going from Greek to German or Greek to French, what what have you, uh, how many translators really know the Greek well enough 
to even convey the problems that you conveyed today, you know, the, the differences today. And so, well, look, you know, the, you, you know the, I, I, they're just so blinded by church doctrine. Right. You know, I mean, I had to learn grammar from grammarians, but but um, I, I chose 1800s grammarians over modern ones. Mm-hmm. You know, that's for sure. I, I wouldn't, anybody writing today is, is a um, Judaized clown. Yeah. For, for the most part, right, right, and, yeah. and I've seen, um, I've seen statements of Grant. I've seen them try to make excuses for the King James. <laughs> you, you know, they try to make excuses for that verb in, in Luke that's translated as. I'm sorry for that noun in Luke two um, two twenty eight. I think it is a light to lighten the Gentiles. Uh-huh, yeah, right. You know, they take a noun and translate it as a verb, uh-huh. and, and instead of pointing out the incorrect grammar, they make excuses for them. Right. I, I can't fathom that. I can't believe that. But it sure. But it happens. Yeah, because they're trust. They're justifying their agenda. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Very good. This is a very instructive uh, uh, program. And uh, gee, I, I wish I knew Greek. <laughs> so do I now. So do you. <laughs> That's a very humble statement. <laughs> okay, so folks, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll be on tomorrow with Clay Douglas, who is a former Paul Basher. Okay, he's not taking that hard line he used to take. I don't know if I want to attend that show. <laughs> I, I got problems with Clay Douglas. He has a lot of um, repenting to do. Right. Him and all the other clowns that bash Paul. Right. I can't wait till they see Yashin. Yeah, well, he's, he's not doing that anymore, so, uh, you know, it, it's getting better there. Yeah, but uh, our subject tomorrow is, is going to be primarily the way in which the New World Order is brainwashing all the world, not just Christians, uh, the Jews, too, to some extent, because they believe the garbage coming from the rabbis, too. It's just garbage that comes from their mouths and from their writing. So uh, that will be the sub- New World Order will be the subject of tomorrow's show. Uh, that will be 11 o'clock. So thanks for listening, and thank you very much, Bill, for your explanation of Greek grammar, okay? Praise Yowie. Yeah, praise Yowie. Thank you all, and good night.